0: Well, good morning, church. I want to begin by expressing my thanks to Josh Hardcastle, who preached last week. I know I was personally blessed uh, by his encouragement for us to, to trust God, to trust in God, uh, even when we are called to face tough and difficult times Uh, like the one we're in right now as a world, as a nation. And and many of us as individuals know that struggle. And so I I was blessed to be reminded that we can trust God even now, especially now. Uh, And I hope that you are blessed as well. Uh, Today we're going to step back into our exploration of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippian church. Uh, And I want to begin by stating something that that I think we all need to be aware of if we're not already aware of it. And it's this, that the stories we love are—they have this ability to become stories that we live. The stories we love have the power to become stories that we live. But it doesn't automatically happen without our help. We all have certain stories that we love, don't we? stories that we're drawn to, stories that we just can't seem to get enough of. It may be because they're stories that make us laugh. It may be because they're stories that that make us brave. It may be because they're stories that that help us see the truth. It may be because they're stories that remind us of just how strong love can be. It may be because they're stories that, that help us feel less alone. It may be because we're stories that well, that help us believe that anything's possible. And whatever the case may be, when you think about the stories that you love, they don't just entertain you, right? They, they don't just entertain me, the stories that I come to time and again. They're, they're stories that, that start to to do more than just entertain us. They start to shape our thoughts and and the way we see the world and ourselves in it. And what I find in my life is often that right? My, my thoughts and my perspectives, they can, they can shape, they, they can directly impact my life, right? They can impact my behaviors, they can affect my, my actions, but it doesn't always happen that way. I mean, you and I, we can love stories that, that are all about adventure and never really go on one, right? We can love stories that are about heroic people who risk everything to save other people and never really find ourselves taking advantage of that kind of opportunity ourselves. What what I'm trying to say here is that it takes more than love for a story uh, for us to live it, right? If you want to live out any story, any story at all that you've experienced, Uh, you're going to have to make a commitment for that to actually take place, for that to happen. This is especially true for those of us who love the story of the gospel, those of us who have fallen in love with the story of Jesus. Present, living, and active in our world today. I I grew up hearing the gospel story. My, My mom and my dad told me that story over and over again, and so I found myself... Loving that story before I learned how to love any other story. I loved every time they would, especially before bed, they would, would tell me moments from Jesus' life and ministry. Moments of care and compassion where he, he somehow found a way to, to reach out to the forgotten and the overlooked. You know, I, I loved imagining what it must have been like to be there when Jesus encountered somebody with a broken life or maybe a broken body and with just a word he brought healing, grace into their lives. I loved picturing the crowds that must have gathered around him listening to every single word he was trying to say, everything he was trying to show them and teach them. And even though it was never easy to listen to the story of the last week of his earthly life, I, I loved listening to all of the events that, that went on in that last week leading up to Jesus giving his life sacrificially on the cross. I mean, it didn't ever make me feel all warm and fuzzy, but it did make me feel like I mattered enough to Jesus for him to go through all of that, for him to see it through even to the end. And I absolutely love the fact that in this story, in the gospel story, the end wasn't actually the end at all, right? In the end, death itself doesn't really finish anything. Death doesn't win. In fact, death is defeated. And instead, Jesus, this one who gave his life freely, He's given this new life graciously from God, this resurrection life. And then not only is, is he given that life, but he wants to turn around and give that resurrection life to me. He wants to give that resurrection life to you, to all of us. And so growing up, I loved everything about the gospel story, everything about this story of how Jesus comes to earth and does whatever it takes. He goes whatever whatever distance he has to go to make sure That he's able to set us free from the bonds of sin and death and sorrow and sadness and pain. I loved it, but I can't actually say that I was really trying to live it. And part of the reason for that disconnect was when I first was listening to the gospel story growing up, I just assumed that it was a story where I primarily was learning how I was receiving something, how I was benefiting from something. More than I was listening to a story that asked anything of me. I absolutely believed that it was true with all of my heart, and and I was extremely grateful for it. I was thankful for it more than I could say, but I wasn't really hearing the way the gospel story was inviting me into it. I I wasn't understanding that the, the beginning place, yes, is believing that it's true, right? Believing that it happened. Believing that Jesus was an actual historical figure that did the things the Bible describes him doing. I I understand that that's the starting place, but it's certainly not supposed to be the place we stop. It's not supposed to be the finish line. In order for the gospel story to really be true in our lives, it takes more than just believing that it's true. We have to live like it's true. We need to embrace the story of Jesus in a way, brothers and sisters, that changes our own story. And at some point along the line in my own spiritual journey, I I suddenly was able to see that. I was able to clearly understand that I needed to move past just loving this story about Jesus to living the story, Not, not perfectly, of course, but faithfully, intentionally. And I'm convinced that this moment of clarity, it comes It comes for all of us who are trying our best to follow Jesus. At some point or another, it hits us, doesn't it? That the journey of being saved is the journey of becoming more and more like Jesus. It's not just the journey of learning more and more about Jesus. right? It's not just some topic or or idea that we are exposing our minds and our imaginations to, but we're really trying more and more to bring our lives in line with that story. Now a couple of weeks ago uh, we we focused on Philippians chapter 2 and in Philippians chapter 2 Uh, Paul the Apostle, he quotes this song about Christ that the Philippian church, they they knew this song by heart. And this song, it focuses on various aspects of Jesus' life story that Paul knows the church loves to benefit from the fact Jesus did those things. But the church, that the various members in that church aren't quite ready to let those actions of Jesus shape their own actions. Those decisions of Jesus become their own decisions. And, and he reminds them through this song. He reminds us as we read uh, Philippians chapter 2 together. That, that look, in a, in a world filled with story after story that we hold up. Stories of upward mobility. Jesus chooses instead over and over again to live a life of downward mobility. And it feels backwards and upside down. It feels like Jesus just doesn't get it. He doesn't understand what it's going to take to really have a kind of life that the world would tell us is worth living. Think about our world, the kinds of stories we love, the trajectory of those stories, right? We love rags-to-riches stories. We love stories where someone, nobody knows who they are, and suddenly the whole world, they have worldwide fame, right? We, we love it when people kind of start out with nothing, and suddenly they end up with everything. That the whole, the, the whole world of possibilities is just waiting for them. And In, into that kind of expectation, Paul says, but see, we've fallen in love with a story that's not, that's not following that trajectory. It's, it's not about always finding a way to develop a deeper sense of self-importance. It's actually a story of self-emptying. That's the story we've fallen in, in love with. That's, in fact, a story that we need to not just love but live. And, and what Paul wants us to wrestle with is, are we really serious about that? And he knows the struggle, right? We've had two weeks since we listened to that song together. I've I've had two weeks to think about it and wrestle with it and think about just how different my life would feel, how different my life would be if I got to the place where I was looking for every possible opportunity to be less self-important, right? To demand my way less often, to, to stop insisting that things go just the way I want them to go for me. That, that instead I would try to find to, a way to humble myself, to empty myself, to, to submit myself for the sake of other people. And I've, I've thought and wrestled with that for the last two weeks. And Paul knows that when that happens, we get to a place where if you've done the same thing, you just decide, you know what? I really love the gospel story. I'm going to feel really grateful for it. I'm going to feel really guilty when I don't live up to it. And that's about as far as I'm going to go because living this differently from the way the world calls us to live or tells us to live, it just feels like it doesn't. It's not going to work, like it's just about impossible. He knows that we're, we're going to come up with a with some kind of an excuse. And yet, here's what Paul wants us to know throughout his letter to the Philippians, is we cannot give in to this temptation to simply benefit from the gospel story and not become people who are living out that story with our own everyday lives. It it turns out, actually, that choosing to allow the self-giving way of Jesus to shape our everyday way of life, it might seem impossible, But it is possible, right? With God, all things are possible. And and Paul Paul isn't going to stop there, right, by just making a declaration, um, you can do this. Because so often in my own spiritual life, I'll look at Jesus, I'll I'll look at what he's done, I'll look at what he's calling me to do, and I'll just decide, look, that's Jesus for goodness sake, I can't do that. And I kind of give myself this off-ramp to say, okay, I'm going to fall short of it, you know, we all fall short of the glory of God, so this is just my day. Um, and and then I'll try to be better tomorrow, or I'll try to do something different, and, maybe, and I'll pray for forgiveness, and then that'll just kind of be this cycle that I'm stuck on. And Paul says, no, it's not just theoretical. People throughout the ages who have followed Christ have found a way to to make real, visible change in their life. They've made real, visible progress in this direction of of not being more self-important, but finding a way to be more self-emptying. And they do that in such a way where it's clear and it's undeniable and everybody sees it for what it is. Right, so he, he chooses to use two people that they know in their own lives. People that they, they know well enough where they're not going to be able to just discard them and say, okay, well, whatever. You know, you're, you're, you're reading some made-up story about somebody who might have done something impressive with their life that reminds you of Jesus, Paul, but that's not us. No, he picks people, they can, they can picture their faces. So the first person he talks about is Timothy. Uh, if you got your Bible, you can look at Philippians chapter 2. This is in verses 20 through 21. He says of Timothy, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. This church knows him. He works with Paul. He's a, he's a church founder and a missionary. And Paul says, and he uses exaggeration here to make the point of just how hard it is for even Christian people to follow in the example of Jesus, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not for those of Jesus Christ. Right? Except Timothy. Timothy is the person who they can look to when they wonder, is this something that I'm actually supposed to try to do with my my life? Paul says, yeah, you know him. You know what it looks like. He lives for the sake of other people. He lives for your sake. He cares more about you than he cares for himself. Nobody else does, but Timothy does. And then he goes on to another guy, this name doesn't roll off the tongue quite as easily, Epaphroditus, right? We, don't, we know some Timothys, we don't know Epaphroditus is. This is uh, Philippians 2, uh, 29 and 30. He says, Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Now Epaphroditus, they know even better than Timothy, Because he was a member of their church. They hear about Paul being stuck in prison. The very prison he's writing Philippians from. And they send Epaphroditus to be there for him. To be supportive. To serve him. To help him in any way possible. And Paul says, you know, I'm going to send him back to you. In fact, a lot of scholars believe that Epaphroditus is the person who's carrying the letter back to the church. Right? So he's going to be there when the church reads this and hears this. And he says, welcome him. Because he's showing you that it's possible to risk everything just to help someone else. To risk everything just to, just to be there for Paul. To be a source of encouragement. To do the things that, that maybe Paul can't do for himself. Welcome him. Look up to him. He's proving, He's living proof that it's possible for your life to look like the self-giving life of Jesus. Now, I think this is really important because Paul knows the struggle we have in our hearts, right? That when we hear somebody call us to something that's difficult, we find a way to say, I'm just not up to it. And he says, okay, if you're going to try to claim it's impossible to live like this, what are you going to say about Timothy? And what are you going to say about Epaphroditus? Because they really are taking this seriously and God is helping them look more and more like Jesus every single day. And then he comes to the place where he, he, he decides, you know what, it's not enough to use other people. And I think Paul wants to shine a spotlight on other people first. But then he says, look, I know preachers have a reputation at times for talking a good game and not living it. So I'm not just going to talk about Timothy and Epaphroditus' examples. I now want to tell you how I'm trying to take this seriously in my own life. Because I wouldn't ask you to do something, first of all, that I think you can't do. And I definitely wouldn't ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. Now, we're about to read this together. If, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 3. We'll be starting in verse 4. But before we do that, I'm going to uh, give those of you who have brought children who would normally go to children's worship. And I have promised my daughter Reese, even maybe a little bit older, Um. Mr. Terry is going to take some time out front. Did you notice out front if you came in there was a large area where we've got some fencing up? Um, we, we're going to have the, the kids who want to, uh, to to just spend some time together. They're going to have you know physical distancing and all that. But it, I promise you it's going to be a lot more age appropriate uh, than the rest of this sermon in terms of having to sit through something that you might already be bored with. Now there is a cap. I don't want to see 40-year-olds slipping out the door here. Uh, to go out front but if you uh, want to take your kids out front or if you just want to send them there's plenty of volunteers waiting and when we're oh, we're done with church here in a, a few minutes um, you know we'll we'll be able to meet them together and maybe they'll still be playing a game and and you know if you want to do that then that's that's your choice okay so let's go ahead and read Philippians chapter 3 starting in verse 4. If others think they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law of faultless, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord Not knowing about, right? But experientially knowing, relationally knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Now, when he says I've lost, the word he's using there is I have chosen to lose, right? It's not just it's been stripped away from him. He's making a decision. I consider them garbage, is this idea that the stories we love have the power to become the stories that we live, but it doesn't automatically happen without our help. This is especially true when it comes to both loving and living the story of Jesus. Now, I I want to give you a little bit of a sense of what Paul's actually trying to do here as he draws the spotlight to his own life story. When he says, if anybody has confidence in the flesh, I have more. What he's saying is, if anybody thinks that life is about them, right? If I wanted to view life, Paul says, as if it was all about me, all about my accomplishments, my ability, uh, my, my pedigree, my track record, my bragging rights. If that's what life's all about, uh, then, then I was set up to win. And in fact... Uh, before Paul encounters Christ on the road to Damascus, he is winning at that version of life right he 's risen to the top of his chosen profession It happened to be church leadership um, he 's calling many of the shots in fact, he has so much influence and power that he 's holding people 's lives in his hand uh, and he is convinced that he 's right he 's intelligent he's he 's a gifted thinker and teacher he has everything if if life is about Winning, if life is some sort of competition, if it's a contest, then Paul's saying, you know what? I already had the kind of life that this world says is the best way to live life. And I'm telling you, because of Jesus, I've realized that I was going down that road in the entirely wrong direction. That's not what makes life worth living. It's not the kind of life that we're built for. It's not the kind of life that God wants us to experience. And even though we may feel like we're making progress, when we kind of set up life that way, when we view it that way... It's not really a life that's taking us anywhere worth going. I mean, sure, Paul says, if you kind of set up life that way, you may wake up one morning and decide, you know what, I have everything I've ever wanted to have. But then Paul would say, well, if you're able to wake up one morning in this life, this side of heaven, this side of the full coming kingdom of God, and say you already have everything you've ever wanted, then you don't want things that that really matter. Not enough. You have arranged your life around things like like possessions that are just going to decay and break down and achievements that are temporary and, and, and they fade away and experiences that might feel like you, know, this is, you could pause time and, and live in this, this moment of happiness or excitement or enjoyment forever. And Paul says, no, none of that can truly stand the test of time. He comes to this place because of Jesus where he realizes that the only life worth living The only life worth having is a life of giving. Giving our energy. Giving our talents and our resources in selfless service to other people. Giving grace, giving hope, giving giving love. The only life worth having is a life of giving. If, If you and I want to live lives that are marked by joy in an anxious and uncertain world we're going to have to live lives of giving, not lives of having, not lives of achieving, not lives of of getting, but lives of giving. Paul says we can't know Christ, you and I, we, we can't really know Christ. We can't personally know Jesus and the power of his resurrection unless we freely choose to die to our ourselves and our selfish desires so that we can help others. And I, I want to be real clear about this because it's, it's really tricky. It's easy to see how other people lose their way. It's a lot more difficult to see how I have started to lose my way, right, gradually, subtly, through decisions that feel like they're relatively small choices, but then they start to add up. And one of the things that I, brothers and sisters, I'm concerned about is that, that without realizing it, we can turn the story of Jesus, the story of the gospel, into a story of self-realization or self-fulfillment where we get the life we've always wanted. As if Jesus lived and died not to change us, but just to, to kind of underwrite the dreams and hopes that anybody could have, whether they're a person of faith or not. And Paul says, somehow we've got to have our eyes open. The gospel is not about self realization or self fulfillment, the gospel is finding a way not to develop myself as much as it's to develop Christ in me. That's different. It's, it's going to ask me to do things that if it was just up to me and my preferences and what I already want or what makes sense to me, the gospel, it's calling me, it's inviting me where in my own life, I'm not at the center. Christ is. And, and you know what? When, when Christ is at the center of your life, what you're going to find out is your pursuit. The way we pursue Jesus is by serving the people Jesus died for. And last time I checked, you and I didn't get to pre-approve the list of who Jesus died for. You know, it's everybody. It's everybody. The people we naturally want to help, we naturally want to serve, and the people who really, honestly, are the last folks in the universe that we would naturally want to serve. Jesus says, if you want to have a life worth living, make it about giving. Not having. Not getting your way. Not not. Achieving all the things you might think that that are going to somehow define you. No, what defines you is how much you're willing to empty yourself for the sake of other people. I know it may seem impossible. But Timothy did it. Epaphroditus did it. Paul shared his own story of trying to do it. He admits at the end, if you keep reading, it's not that I've gotten there already, but I press on. I want to become more and more like Jesus. I'm not there yet, but I I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus took hold of me. Right In another letter, he's going to say the whole point of life is for Christ to be formed in you. That's the hope of glory. That's what life's all about, for Christ to be formed in you. And in in order for us to do that, we're going to have to, to find people in our lives who can help us believe that it's possible. So what I want you to do this week, and I'm serious about this. I know sometimes, you know, and whether it's in school or in church or something, we'll give you like homework to do for for a week. And I try to avoid that because as soon as you give me something and you call it homework, I'm trying to find ways not to do it. That's the unredeemed part of me that's still like 14 years old. So, you think of it however you got to think about it to actually do it. I, I want you in the next week, if you haven't already, do what Paul does here. Find your Timothy. Find your Epaphroditus. F- find your Paul. Right. Find a living, breathing person who reminds you through the way they live their life that it really is possible every day to become more and more like Jesus. Don't just focus on the gospel and say, you know, Jesus is so far ahead of me and so different from me, I can't possibly live. Don't do that. Don't give yourself all the the wrong kind of of ways out of trying to to do this. But think of someone in your life who has been that kind of person, who has reminded you that with God, all things are possible. You and I, we, we don't need more excuses, we need more examples. Right, We don't need more excuses of why this is really hard to do. We need more examples of people who say, even though it's hard to do, it's possible. Because with God, all things are possible. We need, brothers and sisters, we need mentors. We need people who, who can show us what it realistically looks like for us to move beyond just loving the story of Jesus to actually living the story of Jesus. So you may already have a mentor. You may already have a few mentors, and I'm asking you this week, reach out to them. Thank them. Pay closer attention to their everyday way of life than you have been lately so that you can start to see what it really means in, in August of you know, 2020. What does it look like to actually live your life for the sake of others the way Jesus calls us to? Find that person. If you already have it, great. If you don't have those examples, those mentors, find them this week. Look in your life, look at the people you have relationship with, look at the folks that you're around from six feet with a mask on, but you know what I mean, right? The people who are in your your social circles, find your Timothy, find your Epaphroditus, find your Paul. It's possible. We just have to see what it looks like. And remember that you could be that for someone else. Someone's watching you someone who needs a mentor, someone who needs an example, someone's witnessing your way of life. Are you you their Timothy? Are Are you their Epaphroditus, their Paul? Are you showing them what it looks like for this to really take place? Who will your mentors be this week? Who will you be a mentor to? Those are the questions I want you to wrestle with. Don't give up. Hold on, because Because all of us need to believe once again, every single day, we need to believe once again that it's possible for Christ to not just live for us, but to live through us. We're going to sing together now, uh, and as Mark leads us, I'm going to ask for you to stand up. Let's let's be this one body together as as we center our hearts on this one who reminds us of what true joy, true life, true goodness is really all about.